So, very often I give uh, talks focusing on uh, ex explaining the Dharma from perspectives of neuroscience, clinical psychology, 20th century continental philosophy, but tonight, none of that. We're going back to a basic buddhist -y talk, which I can do as well, <laughs> although probably not as much as I should. So tonight will be a um, uh, straight Buddhisty type talk, uh, although I think it's still pretty interesting um, and <laughs> worthwhile. <laughs> um, <coughs> so observing silence, and I'm going to be using my notes a little bit more than I usually do. I generally never check them, but tonight I'm just uh, so groggy that I'm going to need to have the use of a couple of uh, props. But uh, in observing silence in Buddhist uh, practice is very much a core part of establishing um, lasting inner peace. And by which I mean um, uh, beginning to <coughs> develop awareness of those moments when we are between thinking, when we are not actually caught up in narrative or, or uh, self-conscious thought and be able to really appreciate, inhabit, and become comfortable in uh, those times. Um, <clears throat> when the mind inhabits a thought, it jumps about, and uh, with every thought you ever have, there's a certain amount of physical stress that develops along with it. It's just a quality of, of releasing both dopamine to create and keep the thought going, and also, um, if, you're, if you combine thinking with external awareness, then you've not only got dopamine, but you've got some form of acetylcholine and all that stuff going. So, uh, so much for my promise about just being Buddhist-y there. <laughs> lasted for about a minute. But, uh, <coughs> so, um, at the end of a long day at work, very often we might feel exhausted, but very frequently these days the exhaust doesn't, the, the state of being completely tired doesn't actually come from um, the, um, the physical use of the body. Sometimes it can, but uh, very often the exhaustion is from the underlying stresses and tensions, contract, muscle contractions, and releases that go about beneath our conscious awareness while we're in thought, keeping track of all the dramas, the narratives, the, the to's and fro's, the uh, unfinished businesses, all that stuff, when we keep track of multiple stories, when we multitask, um, numerous studies show that we actually use up, we deplete the uh, neurotransmitters from... Uh, the glutamates to the dopamines that allow us to think. So uh, being, the more that we're car carrying around all these different stories, worrying about financial stability, social acceptance, reputations, what's going to happen to me in the future, what do other people think about me, what's going on with my friendship, relationship, parents, all that stuff, uh, the more we carry on in our minds, the more uh, exhausted we feel. Um, and then on top of that, what we also do to create exhaustion is that we're constantly caught up in monitoring people, 
you know, sometimes we're like, oh, I don't like that person. I'm going to watch everything that fucker is doing because I don't like them one bit. And boy, I like the looks of that person. I'm going to follow them around for a while now. Oops, I don't like the looks of that one. So the... Uh, the, what the Buddha called asava, the flow outwards, is, as he said, uh, inherently dukkha, stressful. And neuroscience and clinical psychology back this up. So carrying around lots of thoughts and getting caught up in what other people are up to, monitoring the world around us, the, the screens, monitoring the sounds for the alerts, the beeps, the buttons, the, uh-oh, I got a text coming in, this is great. Uh-oh, maybe it's not great. Uh, all that is uh, stressful, whereas uh, we tend to forget just how peaceful um, <coughs> inner silence can be, achieving times of quietude, times when the mind just relaxes and can settle and doesn't get caught up in uh, narratives and uh, ideations and trying to figure out what everything means. <coughs> in life and just allows itself to relax. For instance, um, um, savasana in, in yoga, that state where we're just lying and, and there's just this piece of just knowing that we've done the yoga and we can just be truly, um, we don't have to think about anything, just uh, the only thing we focus on is relaxing the body. That can be some of the most pleasant moments in life, those times. Uh, neuroscientists call it flow. And flow has almost invariably got a quality of um, body awareness to it. When people are in flow, they're not, they're not in self-conscious ide ideation. They're not thinking about self, I, me. They're focused often on what their hands are doing or on just uh, something that, that they know well that they don't have to add a lot of additional um, guiding thought or narration, and they can just settle into the activity, whether it's gardening or making something with your hands or playing an instrument or something that um, you've uh, learned and is now completely done by rote. For me, one of the things is uh, riding my bike. I get I, I love going on long bike rides and uh, my mind really quiets down and I become very just in tune with the physical sensations of the the air the the uh, moving of the legs and all that so we all have flow and that during flow what happens is uh, uh, time passes really quickly we can write a song and record it. And hours and hours and hours can pass, and it can feel like just a few minutes. Why is that? Well, because the conceptual mind is also the thing that keeps track of time. And when you go into a place of uh, stilling, quieting the mind, you can also get to a place where you feel yourself existing outside of that little narrow grid of hours that we place ourselves in. I think we all, by these days, have a little mini calendar in our heads, you know, well, from 7 to 8.30, that's Dharma punks, and then from 8.30 to 9.30, that's get food, and then 9.30 to 11, that's watching Homeland, and whatever. I'm just talking about myself, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
Why is it we find silence difficult or challenging to move into? Well, a couple of reasons. I listed a few. Um, we've trained and conditioned ourselves to believe that when that we're not vigilant, we're not prepared if we don't give a lot of thought, a lot of uh, mental agitation to every big decision, to every event, to every conversation, to anything basically in life that that uh, uh, we have to. Uh, that has any weight to it, that has any importance. We believe that the only way we can be prepared is by both stressing ourselves up and by going into mental ideation of everything that can possibly go wrong. And we've, we've come to mistake both physical stress and, uh, and going through all the possible bad news as um, preparation. And of course it's not. <coughs> what it is is stress. Um, one of the exercises I do with many of the people I work one-on-one with is uh, to have one day a week where they just do not think about the future. They don't think about what's going to happen to them. They just have a day off and where the only thing they do is the next right thing in front of them. Just so I can show them that the world doesn't fucking fall apart when we don't worry about what's going to happen to us five years from now and that in fact not only is the, are those days uh, what fun Fridays or whatever we'll call them. Not only uh, not only do we actually get more done, they're a lot less stressful, and we find that actually we can. Those are the days where we don't spend the entire day saying, "I've just got to write one email. I've just got to write one email." Holy shit! It's four o'clock. I haven't written that email. What the fuck have I been doing? I don't know. I. It's what. What happened? <coughs> so, uh, um, we believe that agitation and thinking is, um, uh, <coughs> is uh, equated to preparation. And a lot of the ways we learn how to live, is, is, um, it's been established, is developed by observing others and imitating them. The human mind is essentially a, a mimetic machine in many ways. We observe and we duplicate other people's behaviors. And so we don't often see visually people getting things done calmly, because there's nothing to see when somebody's doing that. But when somebody's freaking out in front of us (laughs) as a process of their way of getting things done, we see it. We take it in, we note it, and we internalize that. So if your father is somebody who got you know, bent out of shape about everything, and your mother was somebody who just calmly got things done, even though you've got example of both in your family, you're going to imitate and internalize the dramatic because that's much more visible. You equate what you can see and observe and duplicate as that which is effective. So we have an ingrained bias towards activity, agitation, busyness, The second thing is that we understand life through narratives. We really believe that the only way to uh, come to grips with any new experience or important event is when we have a nice little phrase or idea to pin to life. This is why when we go to funerals and wakes, people feel just such a need to say the most insipid things. Well, he had a full life. (laughs) 
<laughs> Nobody's ever said he was an empty, vapid man with, who achieved nothing in his days. There's, <laughs> it never happens. <coughs> and that's, those, that saying, you know, oh, well, you know, he lived a rich, full life. He was, you know, whatever, years old or... or you know, at least he got to see France or whatever the fuck, you know, people pull out. It doesn't, it doesn't add any bit of understanding. But we so need a little thing, an idea to, to make the, the, the difficult feelings go away. We don't want to feel and we want an idea to, to focus on. Because if we have to focus on feelings, they're awkward, they require processing space, opening up, they require deeply connecting with others, and they're, they're awkward. And they're where the real work is. So we vastly prefer somebody to come up with a little hallmark card saying, and that's what the mind does every moment in life. Somebody, you know, uh, we have a fight with somebody, we're uh, uh, awkward with them, we don't want to feel that awkwardness. We don't want to feel the sadness. We don't want to feel the separation. We just want somebody to agree with us when we say, well, they're, they're being an asshole these days, aren't they? Yeah, they're an asshole. Yeah, okay, good. I don't have to think about this anymore. Asshole. You know, so... <coughs> By the way, blame this on the, uh, the, the medication I want for the cold, if anything sounds weird. <laughs> All right. So... Um, um, we also culturally equate we culturally equate having lots of information with being smart. Um, if there's nothing like in a movie, if they want to show very quickly that somebody's got a lot of depth, they immediately show them at an AA meeting. It's become the symbol of backstory. We don't even have to fill in. We just have this new character. We'll show him at an AA meeting. And that makes him seem rich and deep and he's complicated and whatnot. And if somebody is shown in a bookline library, oh, so I'm in Smarty Pants' place now. Okay, I get it. We don't actually have, have to give him anything smart to actually say, but it's just look how many books he's read. He's obviously got to be a smart person. So, um, of course, this equation of just having a lot of sheer um, stuff going on. In fact, the Buddha really discounted that. One of his most famous teachings was the um, story of the Simsapa tree, where he had um, uh, <coughs> a bunch of monks with him. And he, does, he said he did a very Buddha-type thing. Buddha... Buddha... Buddha-ish. Buddha-ish. The Buddha was in a very Buddha-ish type day, and he, 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 uh, he, said, he, he said, look at all the leaves of all the Simsapa trees, and they go, oh, yes. And then he said, look, look, at all the, look at the leaves I have in my hands, the Simsapa leaves I have in my hands. And he said, which is greater, the leaves of all the trees around us or these leaves in my hands? And idiotically, of course, they always march in blindly and answer the obvious thing. Why? Why Buddha? Um, you know, it's all the leaves and all the trees. And uh, <coughs> the Buddha says, basically, yeah, well, in one sense, that's more. But actually, really, what's more 
is just the, the stuff that you really need to have in the mind. And in the case of real intelligence that you really need to know to be happy, peaceful, have a good life, it's just the amount of leaves I'm carrying in my hand. All the other stuff that, you know, that's uh, the needless commentaries and the, uh, the, the stories that we add on and all that stuff. And he's used, in the story, he's basically holding up four leaves, and it's the four noble truths. He's basically saying that so long as we can see what's the inevitable stresses of life and what are, what are the stuff we add on, be our resistance, our our uh, agitation, our, all this, these, the uh, ideas that we add in, the why me's that we add into the inevitable stresses in life. And so long as we know that, we don't need to really fill up the mind with so much of the commentaries and justifications and, and stuff that we do. It doesn't actually help us. And so um, we tend to privilege thought and give it... Um, a sense of power and efficacy that it, uh, uh, it doesn't really have. Um, <clears throat> of course, in the mundane world, in our jobs, we might need to carry around a lot of information. But in my experience, actually, most of the stuff that allows us to survive in the world is what's known as implicit knowledge, not explicit knowledge. Implicit knowledge is not ideas that you can repeat. It's just physical behaviors and, and, and ingrained patterns of practice that you do that you no longer think about. For instance, a, a designer doesn't, when he's designing or she's designing something, doesn't think, well, I wonder if yellow goes well with green. Does yellow a good color with green? Uh, yes, it's got some of the same tonal. It's not the way it works. They just look at it. And over years of practice, they know what looks good, and they make the decision based on implicit or embodied practice over years of just seeing what works and what doesn't. It's just experiential learning that becomes embodied. All the, the narrative chatter that we carry around in the mind is actually very much often a smokescreen that gets in the way of just simply practicing, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work. Um, <clears throat> we also like to get a handle on life simply by having a constant voiceover. It's a little bit like seeing an advertisement without a slogan beneath it. You wonder, what the fuck does it mean? It's a picture of people smiling on a boat. Is it, is it a, a cigarette or a tampon commercial? I don't know. I don't like this. It's, 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 it's not grounded in a meaning. So we like to have something that just grounds experience so that we can, we can avoid it after that point. All right, so that's uh, the numerous reasons why we don't like silence. <laughs> Nothing like explaining that by basically filling up the room with language. <coughs> so, um, so how do we achieve silence in life? All right, uh, here's... Here's a, a list of teachings that I've learned over the years from my studies. Um, <clears throat> the first is to have a spacious mind. The more spacious the mind is, the less it attaches to narratives, and the, uh, eventually we begin to 
finds the the stuff that fills up the mind with content begins to be less appealing. By which I mean, if we can constantly have awareness of things like background sounds, which or contact sensations, aromas, feelings in the body, sensations in the breath, these are all sensations that we don't really add a lot of language and commentary to. On the other hand, ideas that float through and visuals, we can get caught up all day in adding just mental content, mental content, mental content. So the more spacious the mind is, the more we can let go, the more we let go of focusing on any specific uh, object or event. Actually, <coughs> it would seem, it sounds counterintuitive, but the, the deeper the focus, the more we can take in, the more settled and spacious and quiet the mind becomes. The more the mind zooms in to just a facial expression, what are they, why are they frowning at me? Why are they, what's that look mean? What does this article mean? Oh shit, I've just got this pain, I'm going to focus on it, and it means I'm going to die soon. That, uh, when the mind focuses in, it becomes busier and jumpier and less settled and less quiet. Um, relaxing the body <coughs> tensions beneath the breath invariably makes the mind quieter. The, the thoughts require physical stress. When we're up in our thoughts, the body becomes armored and guarded because, <coughs> in essence, uh, there's nobody home. We're unprotected, we're unaware, we're, in essence, dissociative. So bringing, returning mindfulness pulls awareness away from the thought into the body. As we relax the body, the stuff that's actually creating the thought very often dissipates. Turning things off. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> Alerts, phone, buzzers, beepers. As many things as you can turn off during par parts of your life, especially during those times when you want to cultivate silence, the better. There's never been a more efficient ruiner, not that that's a word, but work with it as if it is, uh, there's nothing that ruins meditations and peacefulness as efficiently as the smartphone. And uh, <coughs> so uh, putting it on pause without vibrate for a while is an enormously beneficial habit, as well as turning off any beeps on your computer. I still haven't figured out how to do that with Skype, but one day I will. Um, having a place where you can give permission to yourself to be quiet in your, uh, you know, a quiet space, that can actually, there's a lot of um, wonderful clinical work that shows that uh, the mind naturally goes into certain behavioral tendencies in certain spaces. So certain places we associate with becoming worried, uh, vigilant, certain areas we might equate with letting go and being peaceful. It takes a while to establish such places, but after a while, if you have an area in your house which is just being used for developing ease, that will very quickly actually affect the striatum, which is a part of the brain that notices areas and habitual actions. Learning how to structure time for when we're going to do uh, activities that involve 
stressful ideation, money, finances, stuff like that, and keeping it contained within a certain part of the day so that we don't allow that kind of stuff to blend into every moment of the day uh, is very useful. I started picking this up uh, <coughs> because if I'm not diligent, the you know financial insecurities or or uh, other kinds of that kinds of ideations can spread out into the rest of our lives. So if we actually assign a time during the day, which I have, where I focus on paying bills and uh, getting you know accounts balanced and stuff like that, then that material doesn't flood out. And uh, so I try to keep the the uh, the kinds of concerns that are most likely to uh, become what the Buddha called papancha, which is just obsessive and repetitive. I try to keep them constrained. Um, a sitting practice is obviously uh, <coughs> really, really useful in developing a silent, more quiet mind. Another practice that's really, really useful is dropping the habit of, and this is going to sound really paradoxical, but we all have this habit of believing that we'll somehow achieve silence if we get rid of thoughts. And while all of this talk has largely been about how dangerous having excessive cogitation can be, actually there's nothing that creates more agitation in the mind than trying to stop thinking. So what does this mean? Uh, all of these practices, paying attention to the body, the breath, keeping areas set aside for certain kinds of thoughts, all these are about not stopping thinking, but assigning at times, focusing elsewhere while allowing it to be. One of the practices are also the skillful replacements of stressful thoughts with thoughts and practices that don't cause a lot of agitation. There's basically three that jump off the top. Forgiving. Nothing fills up the mind more than resentment. Nothing agitates, keeps the mind busy than the list of people in our lives that we refuse to uh, forgive. And uh, <clears throat> the problem is, is that none of us, not even me, with my exalted Buddhist powers, <laughs> laugh, all right, whatever, don't. Uh, none of us, none of us have developed enough mental powers that we can make someone else suffer with our thoughts. I have tried. <laughs> I have tried, and it doesn't work. Cannot be done. I've actually talked to monks that are, have achieved, I'm fairly sure, uh, stream entry, and they too will say, I cannot make anyone suffer with my thoughts, nor would they want to. I would try. I, I wouldn't try to you know, kill somebody, but I, I really would try to ruin their day once in a while just to see <laughs> if it was possible. Not good Buddhist spiritual practice, not meta, but hey, I'm just saying I would try it, and it doesn't work, so it's a waste of time anyway. So, and then the second thought is, well, if I, if I forgive them, 
I'll let them off the hook, and then they'll take advantage of me again. Mm -mm. Doesn't work that way. The, uh, you have a part of your brain called the amygdala that will not allow you to trust somebody once they've fucked you over. Unless it, you know, and if you do trust them, it has nothing to do anyway with your carrying around a lot of thoughts. It's simply because you're driven emotionally to reconnect with that person. It's not because you're carrying around a lot of thoughts in your head about them that you're having any protection from anyone. All the thinking comes at your cost. It doesn't hurt anyone else. It doesn't have any effect. So forgiveness is the most efficient way of all of these to establish a quiet, still mind. <coughs> Second in the list is gratitude. Nothing empties out craving, wanting more, feeling there's something missing, feeling there's something lacking about me. Where did I go wrong? You know, why don't I have as much money, as much success as that person? Then gratitude. Focusing, inclining the mind to the stuff we have rather than allowing the mind to naturally move to its conditioned tendency of just itemizing the one thing that we don't have. Finally, doubt and self is really defeated by, if we're going to reflect, reflect on the universal quality of all of our experiences. Which means... Um, it, Take whatever arises in your life as something that happens to other people. Nothing fills up the mind with thought like, why is this happening to me? Why am I the one that has the subway door slam in their face? Why am I the one that is late for work today? Why am I the one that has to live with a, a difficult roommate? All of our experiences, when we cut out the details and we just focus on the gist of them, are universal. <coughs> and reflecting on the universal quality of experience empties out the mind of all the autobiographical content, and that's the bulk of our inner speeches. The Buddha sustains silence by saying, learn to become comfortable in silence, and that's what we do in our meditation. Learn to become comfortable in spacious pauses between thoughts. But I would definitely recommend for tonight, if you want to carry around anything, if you want from this talk, the keys to establishing peace of mind are <coughs> keeping the mind spacious. Don't allowing it to shrink and get small. Make sure it's either taking in the sounds and the contact sensations or body sensations and breath. Have a time of the day where we deal with the stressful concerns of our life and we just focus on them. And then other times of the day where we practice just noting and not picking up those thoughts. Having practices that are meant to reduce conscious ideation, which are forgiveness, gratitude, and reflecting on the universal quality of all of our experience. So I thank you for your patience. I hope that there was something worth reflecting in there. And now... <coughs>